Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, California announced it lost 197 people Tuesday to the coronavirus, a record number in a single day for the state. This hour, we'll look at Governor Newsom's handling of the pandemic as the Central Valley becomes the newest hotspot. But first, the surges in cases and deaths are prompting some public health officials to ask Californians to pull back on their outdoor socializing. We'll take your questions about how safe it really is to gather in groups outdoors. Join us after this news. This is Forum. I'm Nina Kim. How safe are outdoor group gatherings with friends, relatives, or others not in your household? With the state seeing a surge of coronavirus cases and deaths, some public health officials are now asking Californians to rein in socializing outdoors, leaving many to wonder if the risk of virus transmission truly is much lower outside. To help us out, we're joined now by Art Reingold, professor and head of the Division of Epidemiology at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Thanks for joining us, Art Reingold. Happy to be with you. I mean, the risk of coronavirus transmission is lower outside, right? Yes, I think that that's almost certainly the case. A lot of it has to do with simple dilution of how whatever virus somebody puts into the air, uh, the more air there is to mix with that and dilute out the virus the lower the chances that somebody will get enough virus uh, to cause an infection. So then why are some public health officials starting to focus on outdoor activities? For example, there was a San Francisco Chronicle piece that quoted San Francisco's public health department saying that they are looking at outdoor dining and whether or not that contributed to the increase in cases in San Francisco. So, So I think, you know, the reality is this is a complicated problem. Uh, One can state some general principles that that outdoors is better than indoors, uh, that exposure to fewer people is better than exposure to more people. 
that wearing a mask uh, we think is uh, substantially reduces your risk. Uh, all of these are relative. Uh, uh, you know, there are no absolutes, uh, but, but uh, you know, I think if you just look at pictures of how people are congregating on beaches uh, or in various other outdoor settings, you, you see that um, in, in many places, and I'm not talking about San Francisco specifically, um, uh, not everyone is wearing a mask. Uh, people are often much closer together than six feet. Uh, and, and so even though it's outdoors and even though there is the dilution factor, uh, there's quite a bit of social mixing going on in, in proximity to one another. Well, does the chance of transmission go up if you're sitting in the same place for a while and having a conversation with someone, even when you're outdoors? Well, the answer to that, again, it's, you know, one can talk about theory and models and what you find in a laboratory, but I would say on average, a time is the other important variable. That is, the more time you're in proximity to somebody who is infected and putting virus into the air around them, the greater the chance you'll get infected, whether that's indoors or outdoors. And you mentioned these large gatherings. I mean, there has been an attempt to crack down, say, on religious services that are on some Orange County beaches and things like that, and images that we saw of people gathering at, at pool parties or other things across the state. What is happening in these sort of crowded areas is essentially just a lot of sort of plumes of droplets um, sort of circulating much more readily the larger the number of people and in particular with say outdoor religious gatherings where there's a lot of singing and chanting that also all raises the risk even if you're outdoors? Well you, I think you've laid out exactly what the various issues are and no one of them is is more important necessarily than the others. As, again it's the number of people, uh, what percentage of them are infected and, and putting virus into the air uh, how much singing or forceful talking or coughing or um, uh, laughing type act, you know, uh, activities are going on, uh, proximity to people. So all of those fundamentally conspire to uh, tell us something about the likelihood you're going to get infected if you're in one of these settings. You mentioned the amount of virus that's potentially in the air. Do you think with this surge that we're seeing in cases that people do need to consider cutting back on engaging in outdoor group activities? Well, when I'm outdoors with friends and we do it in a socially responsible manner, we still, even though outdoors maintain a distance apart from each other of six to eight feet or more um, and and typically are also wearing masks in that setting so the notion that if you're outdoors you don't need to wear a mask you can be in close proximity to someone uh, if that's the message that's either been delivered by public health or that people have taken away from the messages that are given uh, that may be contributing to the problem and you mentioned activities like singing. Also, one of the things that, that comes up a lot is why there's so little evidence that the Black Lives Matter protests with chanting and, and large groups of people gathering in close proximity, why that did not, or there's so little evidence that uh, it created a spike in new cases. Well, obviously, one possibility is that a substantial proportion of the people were, in fact, wearing masks or face coverings, which would, we hope would have mitigated the problem. Um, but, but beyond that, uh, exactly how well the data have been looked at uh, and, and that's been ruled out, I have to say I'm not entirely sure.
We're talking with Art Reingold, professor and head of the Division of Epidemiology at UC Berkeley School of Public Health about outdoor transmission of the coronavirus and the safest ways to see friends and family. Have you been gathering with others in parks or backyards, along the lake, at protests, camping? What are the precautions you're taking? What are the, the moments when you're like, hmm, should I be doing something else? Give us a call with your questions. 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And Dr. Reingold, I just want to switch gears for one second just to ask you about some of the new research that has been coming out about airborne transmission and in particular um, the fact that uh, that there are a lot of scientists who are are seeing that this this virus can hang in the air for long periods of time, minutes maybe, or longer, that it's aerosolized. Can you talk about what that research might be telling us about transmission? Sure, so you know, I think we need to acknowledge that, that many of us in public health uh, years ago learned that droplet transmission and aerosol transmission were two separate and distinct things. So droplets were sort of large things that you coughed or, or sneezed out and would fall to the ground by gravity. Aerosols were tinier particles that could remain suspended and that some diseases were transmitted more by one and, and others more by the other. I, I think the science now is that a large part of that teaching was inaccurate. Um, and, and it wouldn't surprise people to know that when you cough or sneeze, you put out an astonishing array of different sized particles from very large to very small and everything in between. Um, and, and so that, that dichotomy that I was taught and, and, and promulgated uh, probably is not correct based on, on the science. Mm. So, so people are putting out a, a, a range of different size uh, droplets and depending on uh, temperature and humidity and, and the virus or the other uh, infectious agent, um, things are much more complicated uh, than we used to teach, I think. And, and I think that the science at the moment is saying uh, that, that um, perhaps more transmission of this particular virus uh, could be occurring through smaller particles uh, as opposed to what we said a few months ago where it was mostly droplets. Now, admittedly, this is a controversial area uh, and and you really need to think about what types of scientific studies can can really answer that question. It's not easy. But if that's true, it sounds like it underscores the importance of social distancing, wearing a mask. But I think the other thing that it's really raising is the focus we need to make now on ventilation uh, more than anything else. It sounds like. So I think engineers and experts uh, in, in the environmental science would certainly agree that when we're talking about the indoor space, uh, that improved ventilation, potentially other measures like filtration or UV light or the like, uh, in addition to masks, uh, could substantially reduce the risk. Um, but, but clearly, the other things we, we are pretty certain of is that the number of people in a particular space, the size of the space, um, you know, obviously in some locations, having open windows and bringing a lot of fresh air in is, is relatively easy uh, most of the year, uh, such as parts of the Bay Area. But there are other parts of the country where that's obviously not possible. And there are many modern buildings where opening windows is not one of the options. So then it also just makes you wonder if it's aerosolized, can we be even less worried about outdoor transmission 
so uh, you know, we, we, we think, as I said, that outdoors where there's quite a bit of dilution of, of the uh, of, of aerosols quite quickly, possibly if it's a sunny day, some effect of sunlight on the virus, uh, we would hope that even with aerosols, outdoors is better than indoors. Um, but but perhaps um, one needs to still think about how long are you in proximity to how many people, uh, even outdoors, particularly if you're not wearing a mask. Mm. Well, let me go to calls and start with Jonathan in San Francisco. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, thanks so much for taking up this topic. It's all of us are really looking for some clarity. And so I guess I have a two-part question and answer whatever you'd like. But one, if I'm going to visit a family member and they've been very careful according to what they tell us, is it safe to sit outside eight or 10 feet apart without a mask and have something to eat outside only? And two, same thing if I go to a restaurant and set up a, something in the street and I'm not near anybody but the waiter who comes with a mask, is that safe to be outside and enjoy a meal without a mask? Jonathan, thanks. So I think the problem is talking about is it safe in sort of absolute terms. Most of these, the reality is, is a relative phenomenon. So few things in life are absolutely safe, uh, whether eating breakfast or getting on BART or getting on an airplane or, you know, walk, crossing the street. So I, I would say that the first of the activities you mentioned are things I do. Uh, I, I do um, uh, uh, socially distantly uh, have drinks or cocktails, you know, or, or appetizers or something with friends where we sit outside on their deck and we're far apart from each other. Um, uh, and, and so uh, we're sort of in a, in a little bubble, if you will. Um, but but so, so I think that that's a relatively safe thing to do. Um, you know, I, I think that um, and I'm trying to remember what your second, oh, about eating in restaurants. Well, again, Fundamentally, um, you know, the amount of time, the number of people, the distance in between, all of those are going to contribute to the relative safety of doing that. And, and, and all of those things are better than being crowded together, uh, you know, at an indoor table. Uh, but I, I, it's hard to say they're absolutely safe. Well, we have a couple of questions related to exercising. This listener writes, jogging or cycling, if you're not wearing a mask, but keeping more than six feet from others, how dangerous is it? Daphne writes here in Marin, there's much discussion about whether it's necessary to wear a mask while walking and biking. Some people contend even if passing closer than six feet, the contact is so brief that masks are unnecessary. Well, and again, I think if one is honest, uh, one would say that uh, all of this is relative and there's a certain amount of, of, of lack of knowledge. So, so guaranteeing ab absolute safety is nothing that, that we can do. Uh, I know in Sonoma, where I spend some of my time, uh, when I'm out walking on the trails, the, the, the rules that are posted say you either must wear a mask, face, face covering, or uh, keep a substantial distance from others, but they, they give you the option of one or the other. Um, I was out walking in one of the East Bay parks yesterday afternoon with a friend I hadn't seen, uh, and I wore my mask the whole time. She did not because she has some breathing difficulties and really can't do much walking while wearing a mask. So I wore my, my, my mask and she didn't wear one. And as we saw people coming and going along the trail, uh, some people were wearing masks and others weren't. 
so, so I would judge that that jogging, bicycling, things like that, if you're a fair distance from someone else, that the risk is, is quite low. Well, then let me go next to Terry in Napa. Hi, Terry. Hi, I just have a tip. I have a group of girlfriends. There's only about five of us, and we try to get together every couple weeks, and what we do the same thing. Outside, a chair with um, eight feet apart, a little side table if we can do it, and the person hosting it will, will provide snacks on a paper plate that's already been prepared in the refrigerator. It's set by the table, maybe with a can of bubbly water, and we stay in our seats and we visit, and we really, there's no buffet table, nothing. We just kind of stay there and either mask up or, uh, you know, eat and drink and share a little time together. And it's been really kind of a tonic for us because the isolation is hard. So it's just a tip, that's all. Yeah. Yeah, Terry, thank you. And also Terry's point is really something that I think a lot of people feel, right? Art Rheingold, which is why we're having this conversation, is that, I mean, just this need to be able to at least engage with people in some way and to to mitigate the safety, uh, mitigate the dangers and, and try to do it safely and just learning more if, if we should be taking more precautions than we previously thought outdoors just because of this new emphasis from some public health officials on certain outdoor activities. I mean, certainly I'm sure you can empathize with the stir-crazy uh, sense that some folks have during this pandemic. Well, and as I said, I mean, we are fortunate to live in an area with a pretty mild climate. So, uh, you know, to do this in some place where it's 105 degrees and 90% humidity uh, would be a lot less comfortable uh, than than where 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 I live in in, in Oakland. Um, and frankly, when winter comes, the idea of doing that when it's 10 below zero and snowing, uh, sitting outside and socially distancing is not very practical. So, we're, we're pretty lucky in terms of where we live. We are. Well, Connie writes, once a week, we meet our two and four-year-old grandchildren outside for a couple of hours, keeping at least six to 10 feet apart. The kids don't wear masks, though. Can we be comfortable with this, or should we try to get the four-year-old to wear a mask? So in general, the approach has been that, you know, there's just an age below which children really cannot be expected to wear or keep on a mask, and it's just not practical. And, and, and you could also argue about the emotional or psychological effects on kids and, and wearing the mask when they don't really understand what's going on. Um, so, so again, I think this is you know, a relative safety and risk question. I, I have uh, both of my daughters are expecting babies next month. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you, and we'll be struggling with exactly this issue once we go through quarantine for two weeks. Uh, what we'll be allowed to do with regard to, you know, uh, contact with our, our our daughters and their husbands and and, and their newborn babies. So mm. it's a hard question. Yes. Um, one thing that I've, I've tried is just a sort of experiment, and it seems like it's gone well with my little one who turned five this year um, in terms of whether or not she's able to keep that mask on and comfortable with it. Um, but I have heard when other parents have tried, there has been a reaction, and they just sort of put it down for a little bit to try again maybe later. Let me go next to Lawrence in San Francisco. Hi, Lawrence. Yeah, hi. Can you hear me? I can. Go right ahead. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm uh, a massage therapist, and I've been uh, out of work since um, since shelter in place, and have started to phase in um, giving sessions to my clients outside, where we both wear masks. Um, one question I have is, does it make a difference if I wear two masks, or 
um, you know, uh, it's a case-by-case situation. I will say it's been really difficult because mm-hmm. I haven't been able to collect unemployment, and uh, and so I feel, and, and and the need for contact and touch is so great, um, it, you know, both with my clients and both with and and with the world. Um, you know, this this is we we are in close proximity. You know, the person's on the table, face down, and then face up. And uh, and when I'm when I work, say at, at the head of the table and working on their neck, um, I turn away. You know, with my masked face on, and turn away from them. Uh, but I could still potentially, you know, they could still breathe aerosol, and I could get it into my eyeballs. I, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, what's the safest? What's the safest bet? Um, and thanks for this 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 conversation. Well, Lawrence, thanks for sharing that. It's a, it's a good question in terms of whether or not uh, the steps that he's taking can help reduce risk, but also, especially with this new research around aerosolized, whether or not maybe he should double mask or or things like that. So, so first of all, obviously, counties like San Francisco and Alameda do promulgate um, recommendations or rules around different types of activities, which one should pay attention to. But but this is a problem not only for people who do massage, but physical therapy, uh, uh, haircutting, uh, you know, a whole host of different things where you simply can't do it physically uh, distanced. So um, I, I do think masks and face coverings are particularly important. There's quite a bit of uh, science now that would talk about what these things should be made of, uh, but but uh, yes, multiple layers probably are beneficial. Uh, a good fit, so there aren't gaps, uh, is important. Of course, all of these again can interfere with breathing or or uh, fogging up of your glasses. I mean, none of them is is perfect, but yes, I would say more layers are better than fewer layers. Well, Wendy writes, I walk outside with a mask and pass many people in the park each day, some masks, some not. I try to keep my distance, but don't have eyes in the back of my head. Should I worry about cumulative virus load or must you get it in one dose? I mean, it's interesting, Arangel, the things that I've understood is that the two things that really contribute to transmission are like how much of the virus you get in like a virus blast and the duration with which you're getting virus. So how would you answer Wendy's question? Well, at the end of the day, it's really not a question of a cumulative dose uh, over multiple exposures. It's whether at any single exposure you get enough of a dose to infect you. Um, So uh, cumulative is really not the... Obviously, the more times you're exposed, the greater the likelihood that one of those times will, will transmit enough virus to infect you. But cumulative dose is really not relevant here. Okay. Um, so uh, it's really a question of at any one point in time, do you get enough virus uh, to successfully infect you? Well, let me go to Amy in Berkeley. Hi, Amy. Hi. Um, thank you so much for answering these questions. Um, I have uh, my primary question is when we have people over to social distance in our backyard um, and it's for a meal, we're keeping quite a distance. Um, they will sometimes then want to come in and use the bathroom. So I wanted to ask for any specific Mm. bathroom protocols and there's no window in the bathroom. And I did have one quick other question. My husband is 87 awaiting brain surgery. That's in 10 days from now for hydrocephalus. Um, We have a caregiver who comes in for many uh, hours a day and sometimes just feels the need to take his mask off. What's the, uh, he's, you know, says he's relatively safe. He caretakes also for one other family. Um, mm. Any advice around that? Thanks, Amy. We have about 30 seconds, Art Reingold. 
So the quick answer is, while people have expressed concerns about, about bathrooms and aerosolization in that context, uh, you know, I think you have to do the best you can, sort of wiping things down when that person is done and leaving some time for it to air out between when they've used the bathroom and when you use it. And in terms of caregivers from outside, it's a tough question. We really need more time to get into details about that. Well, best of luck on your husband's surgery, Amy, and thanks for calling in. And thanks to our listeners for their many questions and comments. And Dr. Reingold, really appreciate having you on to answer them. Sure. I'm happy to help when I can. Art Reingold, professor and head of the Division of Epidemiology at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Judy Campbell produced this segment. I'm Mina Kim. Stay with us for another. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.